please uh, take a Bible. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. If you're using one of those Bibles in the pew rack in front of you, it's on page 1156. 1156. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, page 1156. We continue our study in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 1.1. 1, 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are not a silent God, that you are not a distant, detached God, but that you speak, that you have spoken, that we can hear your voice today through your word. We thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ is alive, that we are not here today to talk about principles for living or helpful tips for um, getting through life, but we are here to talk to the Savior, to the Son of God. We are lifting up our hearts to Him. And we pray that this morning He would speak to us. I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, God, You would open up Your Word to us so that even as those two disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus and, and Jesus, You walked among them and, and afterwards they say, didn't our hearts burn as He opened the Word to us? Lord, we pray that You might teach us from Your Word this morning, that our hearts might burn with Your truth because we've been in your presence. God, save us from a merely human worship. Lord, meet with us by your divine presence. We can't make it happen. There's no rain dance we can do that can bring down the Holy Spirit or bring down your presence. Lord, you must come sovereignly in, in your own good time. So we ask you and beg you that you would come and meet with us and speak to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was uh, driving home the other day from lunch, and uh, I was uh, coming up to Queen Anne's Corner, going up on 53, and I was taking a right onto 228, uh, you know, Main Street here, going north, and, and as I approached the stoplight, it turned yellow, um, right at about that distance where you're like, I think I can stop, but then again, maybe I can make it, and so I was trying to judge that distance, and you know, maybe I could have stopped... 
well, I could have stopped. <clears throat> but, um, so, but I was like, you know, I've been to this stoplight so many times, and I, I drive through there like four to five times a day. You know, I'm always going through this stoplight. And, and so I was coming up to it. And, and anyway, it was, I was turning right, and so I knew that I could just squeak around the corner. And um, it's going down a hill, so I had elevation. I could see the traffic situation. I mean, I knew there weren't any cars coming toward me or, or going the other way. Um, and uh, there was this big truck out in the middle of the intersection. So he was kind of a blocker, right? So I knew that if I was going right and he was hanging out to go left, no one's going to come this way because I had a blocker there. And so, um, so anyway, I ran a red light. Um, so, <laughs> and there was a trooper right behind me. <sighs> stupid, stupid. <laughs> so he turns on his Christmas lights and, uh, and they pull over and... You know, the worst thing about getting pulled over uh, isn't, well, it's actually the ticket uh, and the fine and the insurance hikes. But the second most uh, worst thing about getting pulled over, I think, um, not that I've had a, a long history of this, well, maybe three or four times, but um, the, the worst thing about being pulled over, I think, is that awkward moment when the policeman walks up to your door and you have to have this little conversation, right? Like, how does it get started? You're just sort of like, you know, what are you going to say? Howdy, officer. <laughs> you know, do you say, I think it was pink? Or, you know, do you say, uh, you know, what do you say? Uh, and, and so fortunately, he broke the ice and he said, well, what's going on, sir? And I said, ah, I said, I was being stupid. You got me. And uh, that's all I could say. I was just busted. You know, what, what could I say? He saw the whole thing. Fortunately, I got off with just a warning. <clears throat> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> That's beside the point, okay? <laughs> That's not the lesson I'm trying to give you. Uh, <laughs> man, I was thinking, if God were to pull any of us over on the highway of life at any moment, we would just be busted. <laughs> he could pull any of us over at any moment and walk up to our window and say, so what's going on, sir? You know, we've we got no answer. We've got no excuse. We know that all of us, all of us are lawbreakers. Uh, even in my finest moments, when I am shining, you know, and, and I succeed, when I look back on it and sincerely evaluate myself, I see that, that even my finest moments were an alloy of virtue and vice. Th that even when I succeed, I often then become arrogant about the fact that I've succeeded. You, you know, there, there's always this vein, this strain, this this remnant of, of uh, selfishness that just seems to always be there, so that nothing I do is ever perfect and holy and pure. Uh, and I stand before God, and, and I'm busted. Anytime he ever wants to pull me over, uh, he's got me. Uh, I am clearly a lawbreaker in his sight. That's why today's text is so amazing. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. This is just so astounding. Given that fact, consider today's text. It says in verse 4, For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. That me, the lawbreaker in every aspect of life, is viewed by God as holy and blameless. I mean, what? <laughs> God walks up to my window and says, you're doing a great job, holy and blameless. What? Have you been watching me, God? <laughs> Holy and blameless? Holy and blameless. Wow. That is one of our blessings in Christ. 
For those of you who are new with us this Sunday, we're going through a sermon series in Ephesians. And in this part of it, we're looking at our spiritual blessings in Christ. We're looking at the good things God has given us in Christ. And we're sort of counting off our blessings one by one. If you want to take out your sermon notes for a minute, this little insert in your bulletin, where it says Ephesians 1.4, and our spiritual blessings in Christ. Remember, last week we began studying those blessings, and we looked at blessing number one last week was uh, unconditional or free predestination. The blessing that God has chosen us before the foundation of the world simply based upon His good pleasure so that His love for me is not dependent upon me. It doesn't hinge on my ability to live up to it or, or to have faith in any way. God's love comes first. Well, today we want to look at the second blessing. And I know many of you are disappointed. I know you'd like to just spend week after week on predestination. But I'm sorry to disappoint you. We're going to have to move on. And uh, blessing number two then is this, that we are holy and blameless before God. We are holy and blameless before God. Let's think about those two words just for a minute here. Uh, first of all, there's the word holy. And this word has two connotations or, or two g general meanings in Scripture that are related to each other. They're not separate. They're very much connected. The first idea when we find holiness in Scripture is the idea of moral purity. That's the first idea. And I think that's probably what we think of when we hear the word holy. You know, someone's holy is, is pure. They don't do bad things. That moral purity, someone who keeps the law. Um, and that certainly is uh, what holiness connotes. But there's also the idea, and this is a second connotation of holiness, which is separation. I don't know how often you think of holiness as separation. That's actually the most basic idea. Uh, if, if you look at ancient cultures outside of Israel, it's sort of connected to the idea of something being taboo. You, you know, there's a magical place or a magical stream, and, and you don't touch it, you don't go there because it's taboo, it's dangerous. And when you come into the Old Testament, you find this idea of holiness, though, though not in a pagan form, but in a biblical form, being the fact that God is separated. He's, he's holy, he's other, and you have to be careful. Uh, I think of Isaiah chapter 6, uh, that famous passage where the angels are surrounding the throne of God and they're crying out, like we were singing today, holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might. The whole earth is full of your glory. And as these angels are singing and flying around the Lord, do you remember what they're doing? They're covering their faces and they're covering their feet. Which I find interesting. These angels are right in the presence of God, but even they have to cover their faces. Now, it's not because God was too bright or something like that. It's because He's holy. And His holiness separates us from Him. So even those angels have to, you know, block themselves a little bit from God's holiness. Uh, when, when we think about how God lived among the Israelites, he, he made a big tabernacle. Do you remember that in the Old Testament, a big tent? And, and it was a separation. He's in their midst, but he's also separated because he's holy. There's a big courtyard around it, and only the priests can go in the courtyard. Then inside the courtyard, there's a big tent, and only certain priests could go in the big tent. That's the holy place. And then at the back of the big tent was a little tent called the most holy place where the, the Ark of the Covenant was. And only one priest, the high priest, could go in there once a year. And the, whole, the, the most holy place with the Ark of the Covenant was where God's presence was supposed to dwell. So it was a holy place. And so the idea was, yeah, God's among his people, but he's separated by all these veils and curtains. It's this idea that something that's holy is separated. But not only is God holy, the amazing thing in the Bible is that he takes people and pulls them to himself. So to be holy is not just to be morally pure, but I think at an even more basic level, to be holy is to be separated to God, to be chosen for God, to belong to God. Um, 
you know, just to, when I was thinking of this, the, the thing that came to my mind was Winnie the Pooh. Uh, this is my daughter's very favorite toy in the whole world. In fact, if she knew I had it this morning, she probably woke up this morning in a fit because she couldn't find it. And I didn't tell my wife I was going to do this. She's probably like, I don't know where Pooh is. So there's probably a big Pooh uh, hunt going on in my house. She loves Pooh. Uh, she has slept with Pooh for years. Um, she's only six, but she slept with him for years. She, she'll probably get married and have to finally give up Pooh someday. She just loves this animal. It's, it's really sacred to her. It's not anything to it. I mean, it's just a dumb old stuffed animal. But, but it's, you know, for her, it's, she's chosen it, and it's become sacred to her. And you can't mess with Pooh. You don't mess with Pooh, okay? That's the quote of the week, huh? Don't mess with Pooh. Um, <laughs> well, one time I messed with Pooh. I, I just felt, you know, mischievous. Like I, and she slept like this, and Pooh was facing her. So I snuck in her room, and <laughs> I, I took this doll. <laughs> from Monsters Incorporated. This is Sully. And I put Pooh's shirt on Sully. <laughs> and I switched them. And I just, and just see what she would do. I, I mean, I don't know why. I was just bad parent, bad parent. And I, I just wanted to see. And, and I sort of forgot about it. And the next morning, she woke up. And I was awoken by this howl. This, like, banshee-esque scream. It was like, Aah! And she's just in her room just sobbing. And I go in, and she won't even speak to me. She won't look at me. I'm just like, I'm just kidding. And she was so mad, you know, because I had messed with Pooh. And, and that's this idea that, that when God chooses something, it's separate, and he chooses it for himself. He has taken us. We're just, you know, we're just rag dolls. We're just stuffed with fluff. I mean, we're nothing. Stuffed with sin. And, and he comes, and he chooses us sovereignly, and he says, you are going to be mine. You are holy. You are separated unto me. And that's, that's part of the idea of holiness. And as you can see, um, uh, holiness as moral purity and holiness as separation are connected. We should be holy because we are God's holy people. So just take that one and put it in the back of your mind. We're going to come back to that. Uh, the, the second word here is not only holiness, it's also blamelessness. And blameless obviously means uh, someone without blame. It means uh, the officer pulls you over and he's got nothing to say to you. There's no blame. He can't, he can't point at anything and say, you did this wrong. There's nothing that God can write a violation against us for. So, so let's go back to the text now. Verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. He predestined us for a purpose, to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's God's plan for us. But the truly amazing thing as we study the book of Ephesians is that in Ephesians, that holiness is something we possess now. It's not in the future in Ephesians. Now certainly there's a future dimension, but as you look at it in Ephesians, the emphasis falls on the present, which I think is rather surprising. Because if I were to say to most of you, yeah, you're predestined to be holy and blameless, you'd probably say, yeah, I'm looking forward to that day. But I can't wait till I get there. And that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, no, 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 no. You are holy and blameless before the Lord right now, if you are in Christ. That that is your position right now. Look back at Ephesians. Uh, look at Ephesians 1.1 1, 1 of God. To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. In Greek, that word saints is literally the holy ones. It's, it's the adjective holy, plural, turned into a, a noun. Uh, so, so it's a, a substantive adjective. It's the holy ones, the people who are holy. 
which is rather surprising. We are the holy ones. That's who Christians are. In fact, throughout Paul's writings, he uses saints synonymously for Christians. In fact, he never really uses the word Christians. He uses the word saints. That's how he describes Christians. Holy ones. That's who Christians are. They're the, the holy people. And as you look throughout the book of Ephesians, we continue to see that theme. In fact, if you want to take out your sermon notes for a minute, once again, you look at the bottom and on the back, what I did was I listed the verses in Ephesians where you see the word holy as applied to God's people. And my simple observation is that it's always in the present. It's who we are. Uh, mostly, he, he calls us saints. Uh, look at your, your sermon, a second quote down on the front page. 115, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Again, it's literally for all the holy ones. Or if you look on the back at the top, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people. But in Greek, it doesn't say God's people. It doesn't say the, the uh, anthropoid tuthau or something like that. It says holy ones. I don't know why in the NIV they translate it God's people, but they do. But it's, it's literally the holy ones. Or just one more quote. I don't want to read through all these, but 221, the next quote down. Here, uh, uh, Paul is talking about the church as a building in the sense of an image. N not the actual building, but the sense that we're like a building. And he says, In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So we are holy. We're the holy temple. We're the holy people. We are the saints. And again, I think that probably sounds a little strange to some of us. Because if I say saints, you know, and we do a word association game, you probably say Mother Teresa. Billy Graham. If I say saints, you probably think of somebody who's uh, sort of a super Christian who's on another level, another plane, someone who's achieved some high status through holy living. In fact, uh, in some traditions, saints are people that you, you talk to and, and you ask them to intercede for you. You say, will you pray for me, saint so-and-so? And the reason you ask saint so-and-so to pray for you is the idea that they're closer to God. That because of their merits, they're like, they have a more of an in with God. And they're the saints. We're just, you know, the hoi polloi. Uh, we're just the regular sort of rank and file of Christianity. But I'm telling you, that is not a biblical notion of, of saints. Anyone who is in Christ is a saint, is a holy one. They're synonymous in the Bible. So I can honestly say of you who are Christians, you are the holy ones. You know? I heard about a pastor... Um, I was talking to a pastor, actually. He's down in uh, Southern Mass, down by Rhode Island. And he, he started preaching on Ephesians this spring. And I said, oh, I'm planning on doing that this fall. And, and so we started talking. And uh, as he began his Ephesians series, he did a little experiment in his church. Um, and what, he, what he did was he, he, he started greeting the people in his church who he knew were Christians as Holy One. So on Sunday morning, someone would walk through the door and they'd go, good morning, pastor. He'd say, good morning, Holy One. Or he'd talk to someone on the phone, he'd say, yes, what is it, Holy One? Or he'd be at their house and he'd say, well, it's good to be with you, Holy One. And he did it just to see what people would do. And he said it was so fascinating because the general response he got was like, what? You know? He'd say, good morning, Holy One. And people would go, oh, come on, knock it off. You know? Or he'd say, you know, how are you doing, Holy One? And, and people would you know, look down or look away or, or through either verbally or through nonverbal cues indicate to him that they thought he was totally off base. Me? What are you talking about? But it's right there in God's word. We are the saints. Now, how can he call us holy ones? Well, the answer is because we are in Christ. Look at verse uh, 7 of chapter 1. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins 
in accordance with God, with the riches of God's grace. Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So the reason that, that I am clean and forgiven before God is through the blood of Christ. It's because I'm in Christ that I can be holy, not because I've got my act together 100%. I'm in Christ. So when God sees me, he sees Jeremy in Christ, he sees Holy One. Or it's even more clear in Ephesians um, 5, look over at Ephesians 5, verse 25. Jumping ahead a little bit. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There's the sacrifice on the cross, cross to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or holy church before God. We are holy people. Why? Because we are in Christ. God sees Christ and he sees me in Christ so he sees me as a holy person. So I am holy before God, but it's because I'm in Christ. Not because of anything in me. Nothing, obviously not in me, but it's, you know, I still run in red lights and tricking my daughter. I mean, I, I still have an ornery streak in me, but, you know, I mean, God sees me as holy in Christ. In spite of that, my sins are forgiven in Christ. And so that's what this pastor started teaching people. He started explaining to them that we are in Christ, that we are holy in Christ. And he said one by one, his congregation, you know, started to get it. And he would say, good morning, Holy One. And one by one, they would start saying, yes, by God's grace, I am. Good morning, Holy One. Yes, because of Christ, I am holy. And they started understanding that they are holy, even though it, it didn't seem like they were holy. And, and I would hazard to guess that uh, that's probably what many of us here would think if I were to come to you and say, Holy One. If you came to me and said, good morning, Holy One, I'd probably do one of these, you know, like, ha, 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 you know, who are you talking about? But really, we are holy in the eyes of God, holy and blameless now. So why do we not accept that? Why does that just seem to bounce off our heads? Uh, it, it, why does it just seem so strange to hear that? Well, I think there's many reasons. One is probably we just haven't meditated on Scripture enough. We haven't let God's Word direct our thinking enough. I think another reason why the idea that we are the saints sounds funny is because we know that we sin. That's probably the biggest one. As I read in the Bible, saints, holy ones, and I look at my own life and I go, hmm, you know, God, I'm not a saint. I'm not a holy one. So there's a disconnect between what God is saying about me in Christ and what I'm actually experiencing. So what are we to make of that? Well, this will sort of, just in closing, I, I think there's two thoughts I'd like to, to say in response to that. If you take out your sermon notes and look on the back, at the bottom there, where it says the disconnect... The disconnect is, if I'm so holy, God, then why do I sin? And I'd like to make two observations from Ephesians. Number one is that Paul urged the holy ones to holiness. In other words, this obviously wasn't a problem for Paul. Because the same Paul who's calling the Christians in Ephesus and the surrounding area holy ones or saints is also commanding them to holiness in the Bible. So obviously Paul knew that these people who were holy still struggled to live holy lives. Uh, if you look at chapter... Oh, Four, verse 25, just to pick one here. Chapter 4, verse 25, he says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his hands, 
that he may have something to share with those in need. So here's Paul saying, look, you're the holy ones, you're the saints, so look, you've got to stop telling lies. You know, you've got to stop holding grudges and being angry at people. You've got to stop stealing. You know? So it's like, obviously he knew these Christians were still struggling with these things, even though they were the holy people. So we are justified before God in Christ. He sees us as holy. And now we're also sanctified. We're in the process of sanctification, becoming what we are in Christ. Which leads to the second point. And I, this, is, this one just blew me away as I was studying this. I mean, it's one of these things where I knew it, but just to read it and think about it blew me away. The second point is, holy living is fueled by embracing our holy status. That it's when I see myself as a holy one that I have the right motive for actually obeying God. Look at chapter 5, verse 3. Check this out. This little verse, and I was like, wow, check this out. Chapter 5, verse 3. But among you, he says, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. It's kind of simple, but I was like, wait a minute. I usually think of it this way. I should be holy. I shouldn't be greedy. I shouldn't be impure. I shouldn't have impure thoughts. I shouldn't say things that are rude. And I shouldn't sin because I want to strive to become a holy person before God. And it's just backwards. Paul is saying, look, you are the holy people, so act like it. You know, be who you are. The first kind of Christian living is sort of like uh, an actor doing an audition. You're going to try to do your best. You're going to try to put on a good show. You're going to read the part well. You're going to try to show a good resume and a good portfolio. Uh, and hopefully, if you do a good job, you get the part. You get the part of Holy One. But it's just the opposite. It's that we already are in Christ the Holy Ones. It's more like a bride on her wedding day who's had her hair all dolled up, and pedicure, manicure, you know, went to a, a makeup specialist, has the gown on, and is getting out of the limousine, and, you know, of course she's not going to want to step in a puddle because she's holy. That's how we are in Christ. God has clothed us with the righteousness of Christ. We are, in God's eyes, like a pure, cleaned up, spiffed up, dressed up bride on her wedding day. So it's like, and Paul's just trying to say, look, that's who you are. So obviously you wouldn't want to go, you know, step in a mud puddle. I said, well, yeah, right. It's a totally different mindset. And I would say that, that if I can get this to sink into my heart, I would see that holy living comes out of joy instead of out of guilt. Because as long as I see holy living as something I have to trump up and, and gym myself up to do in order to please God and, and sort of get on His good graces, it's always going to be kind of a works sort of thing. But when I begin to see that holy living should be an outgrowth of what God has made me in Christ, there's a totally different dynamic and motivation. Uh, it, it's a totally wonderful, liberating, freeing kind of approach to the Christian life. My concern is that there are some of us here who aren't Christians, and the reason we're not Christians yet is because we think, you know, I haven't got my act together. In fact, I'm surprised I'm even sitting here in this church. I'm surprised it didn't fall down on me when I walked in. If people knew what I was doing this morning or what I was thinking or saying last night before church, I mean, they would, they'd freak out. They'd throw me out the doors. And there's some people who think that way, and they think, so once I get my life together a little bit more, then maybe I'll consider Christianity. Salvation is by grace. We are holy before God by being in Christ. And the same is true for us as Christians. My concern is that there's many of us here, and this is my concern for myself, 
that still see the Christian life as kind of an audition. Where I'm trying to get it right so that God will be happy with me. And I want us to see that you are blessed in Christ. He loves you. He's predestined you. He's saved you. He's adopted you. He's made you holy and blameless. You are His. You are His, his treasured possession. This is, he's got you next to His heart. And that out of that joy and sense of His love and His grace, we would obviously not want to sin. Because why would I want to ruin that? You know? I want to stay close to Him. It's a totally different approach to Christian living and a totally different motivation to holiness. There's a story told of a, uh, a young man who went off to college, and he's a Christian. Uh, he grew up in a church and went off to college, and finally on parents' weekend, his mom came to visit him, and she was showing him around, and she checked out his dorm room and was very disturbed to see that uh, he had hung up on the wall several uh, lewd and, and suggestive pictures of women. And it was, you know, just what everyone was doing in college, and all the guys in his floor had these kind of pictures up, and... But, you know, she was really disturbed her, and she saw that he was being influenced by the, the dorm around him. So she didn't, you know, she didn't say anything. She just went home, and what she did is she mailed him a framed portrait of an artist's rendition of Jesus. Was doing it. And so he'd be doing his homework at night and, you know, look up and see Christ, who, whom he believed in and whom he loved, and think about Christ. And then he'd look over, and there'd be the picture of some woman on, you know, the hood of a car or something, and he'd kind of go, eh, eh. He finally took that one down because it just didn't seem right. And then he would, you know, work some more and think some more. And then, you know, there'd be another picture over there. And that one came down. And, and slowly but surely, the, the pictures came down because they just didn't fit with Christ. And I think that, that story to me is, is kind of a metaphor for the motive for Christian living. If you are in Christ, then Christ is in you. He lives in your heart. And as a Christian, He's there. So what I need to do as a Christian is to draw closer to Christ, to fill my vision up more with Christ, to love Christ more. And as I love Him, and as I know who I am in Him, as that, that last song we sang, I, I love that song. It was perfect for this message. You know, be my vision, be my quest, be my zeal, my passion. As Christ becomes that for me, and as I fall in love with Christ more and more, I'm not going to want the other stuff in my life. Desire for Christ will wither and shrivel up sin faster than anything else. It'll shrivel it right up as soon as we fill our hearts with a love for Christ. And that's exactly what Paul prays for the Ephesians. We'll close with his prayer in chapter 3, verse... Where is it? Verse 17. Actually, start at verse 16. That is why Paul, throughout Ephesians, is praying that the Ephesians would get it, that God loves them. He says in verse 16, I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And as we are filled up with God, of course, we'll be holy. As we are filled up with God, of course, we won't want sin. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, your love for us is so immense and vast. 
Open the eyes of our heart to see it. God, I pray for anyone that you have done it all, that they just have to receive it, and that even their receiving it is a gift from you. Lord, I pray that those of us who are Christians would press deeper into knowing Christ, that we would love Christ, that, that Christ would be like that song we sang, our vision, our passion, our quest, our whole life, the breath we breathe, that Christ would be everything to us. And as we're just filled up with Jesus, as we love him more, the stuff of this world would just kind of shrink away. It would seem so irrelevant and small. And that we might outgrow sin as we become mature in Christ. Lord, help us as a church to walk in our holiness. Thank you that we are holy and blameless before you. Help us to know it and then to live it. And I pray, Lord, especially for any Christians here who just feel so beaten down by sin. I pray for any Christians here who just feel like they're always failing in the Christian life like they just have blown it and there's no hope of them ever walking with you. Lord, would you wash away the lies of the evil one and communicate to them your grace and your forgiveness and love and help them to understand who they are in Christ and then help them to live it so that we might have victory over sin, death, the world, and the devil. God, I pray, do this by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.